And it is currently 9 a.m. on the nose on this Thursday, the 16th of July. And welcome to Community Pulse, your locally produced program here on the uh, COVID-19 pandemic right here in mid-Missouri. As a reminder, you can catch Community Pulse live Monday through Thursdays at 9 a.m. right here on KOPN. All episodes are then uploaded to our website at kopn.org. You can find them on our Facebook feed and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Today on the program, we're going to be discussing the, we're going to be delving a bit deeper, I should say, into the medically recommended parameters of both quarantine and isolation. We're going to specifically define the two concepts, important to note that they are in fact separate ones, and discuss the CDC recommended steps for both. On yesterday's show, public health advocate Ginny Chadwick called attention to the statistical disparity between positive cases and quarantined individuals right here in Boone County. If you care to take a look at the statistics currently provided by the Boone County COVID-19 Information Hub, we have 316 active cases with a listed 553 individuals in quarantine. Quick calculation leads one to, let's say, an inferred transmission rate of 1.75. When looking at such statistics, as always, an informed and cooperative local citizenry has its crucial role to play in driving such a statistic lower. On Monday's program, we spoke a bit about how ordinary citizens can assist the public health apparatus with their own practical contact tracing efforts. And now, how can we each do our part in reducing the spread of the novel coronavirus through self-isolation and self-quarantine? As always, here to discuss that with me is Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, host of Your Health Matters. How are you doing today, Dr. Alleman? You know, considering the circumstances, I'm doing really great. (laughs) I will say that the numbers in Missouri and in Boone County are beginning to be sobering, and I am uh, concerned. I do not want to um, stimulate any panic. I think, again, this is a we, we have not seen the collapse of our health care system. We, you know, many things are still doing great. And most of us in uh, the local area are still well. So um, let's see, starting out with the uh, world statistics, uh, uh, coming up on 14 million uh, total documented cases, 13,739, with uh, 588,000 deaths and uh, 7.9 million people recovering in the United States. We're up to 3.6 million people with 140,000 deaths and 1.6 million people in uh, in recovering. Uh, with uh, Matthew Holloway's data, we're up to 32,000 uh, cases in Missouri with 1,000, uh, 1,034 new cases in the last 24 hours. Um, and again, it's a rotating number of, of uh, who, which counties are leading to in the last 24 hours. Barry County, Polk County, and Cedar County have the highest uh, increases, uh, ranging from 20 to 41 percent. Um, our average, uh, our you know, rolling seven-day average um, of cases is up to um, 801, which is the highest it's been. Um, so we're setting new records. Uh, uh, we're still at about 6% uh, positive test rates, which is a concerningly high number. And in uh, Boone County, we're up to uh, 800 cases with three deaths. Um, so we are, you know, we were spared for so long seeing these rises in part because we live in the middle of the country and we don't have large international airports and a large multinational community here in Missouri. And also because um, 
this is not a place that often people rest before they travel on in international travel. And also because local and statewide officials uh, acted early and uh, shut things down, now we've reopened and we're seeing these numbers increase. So. So that leads us to now increasing numbers of people are going to test, uh, get tested and uh, to get a positive result. And that's going to be um, sobering and um, perhaps fear-inducing. But again, most people, 85% of people, will manage that illness at home. We, some people call it a mild illness. I think many people will have a mild illness, what they would call a mild illness. Some people will never have symptoms. And other people will be really um, memorably ill, but not dangerously so. So they'll be at home feeling lousy for a week or two and then uh, recover without the need for hospitalization. So when we say 85% of people have a mild illness, medically what we mean is they can be managed outside the hospital. Most, many, I don't know. I haven't seen the numbers. I'm going to guess somewhere uh, a fourth to a fifth of them will not describe their own illness as mild. Um, but we'll be very glad to not need hospitalization. Then about 15% of those people will need to be hospitalized primarily because they'll need supportive oxygen therapy. And then there's around 5% of people will need um, uh, intensive care unit care and uh, ventilator support or um, hemodialysis or some intervention like that. So, um, well, many people will be, will be staying home while they've been told that they have this illness. And um, their contact, so someone from the health department will call them and say, hey, um, we hear that you've got this, and uh, what can we do to help you? How are your symptoms? Um, we'll be contacting you along and along every day or every other day. And we'd also like to know who you've been in contact with starting um, 48 hours before the onset of symptoms. So, you know, sort of helping people remember what day was it when you really first felt any sort of symptom of being ill. And then for two days before that, um, let's, let's go through those days and talk about where you went and who you were in contact with. And a contact is defined by the Centers for Disease Control as um, a person that you spent 15 minutes or more, uh, less than six feet away from, not wearing a mask. Um, it is possible that you could transmit the, that someone could get infected from a person with less contact than that, but that is, you know, we've got to set some parameters somewhere, so that's the parameter that's been set. Um, and, uh, and then all of those people, the health department would also contact, and, um, ha- and they would be called contacts, and we'd say you've been in contact with someone um, uh, who ha- is now tested positive. So, and then there were recommendations for isolation and quarantine. Um, all those, those things are voluntary. There is no um, enforcement by law enforcement. There's no, you know, imprisonment. These are requests by the public health department, and um, and so you, you know, people cannot be forced to tell you, who, tell us who they've been in contact with. But most people are cooperating with that, as far as we can tell. What is interesting to me, what's concerning to me, is that in the general public, we've been calling what we've all been doing, we've been calling it quarantine, and we have not all been under quarantine. We have all been socially distancing. And I would encourage us to just say that, that this is not a time where we've all been quarantined. We've all been socially distant. Um, because quarantine is a, is, a, is a step up from what most of us have been doing, uh, similar to what many of us did in the, the early days where we 
and I did not do this, I continued to go to work, but where we interacted only with members of our household and that we stayed home. And we didn't go to the grocery store. Um, we had groceries delivered, and we didn't meet with our friends to go for a walk outside. We didn't um, uh, put up some lawn chairs in the driveway and talk to people. I'm not saying that some people didn't do that, but some of us, some people did do that, and that would be more consistent with quarantine. That we stayed in our homes and interacted with the people in our households. Um, and so what's happened is that many people, when they are asked to quarantine, say, yeah, well, I've been mostly doing that. And mostly quarantining is a little bit like being mostly sexually abstinent. <laughs> I, I mean, I, it, is, it is so much, Peter, like the conversations that I have with people about safer sex, about preventing pregnancy, about transmission of sexually transmissible illnesses. And I am not saying that people get COVID-19 by having sex with each other, although you probably that probably would count as a contact. Um, but it is it, it's these things that people, it's really hard. We all want to say that we've been virtuous, that we've all been following the rules. And so I had a, a con- someone contacted me um, Again, we use network contact. Someone reached out to me through social media and asked about um, getting tested for someone who was under quarantine and had a secondary contact. And I'm like, okay, well, they're not under quarantine then. If they had a, so they had a contact with a case, they were asked to quarantine. They've been, quote, unquote, mostly quarantining. Um, but then they've had a contact with someone, I guess, another person who's positive. So that tells me that somehow our messaging about quarantine is not being effective. Uh, indeed, that that darn poetic license uh, creeping into what should be a scientific vernacular. Well, but the thing is, this is also people living their lives, and and it is so hard to be a purist um, that uh, anybody who's tried to, I don't know, be vegetarian or vegan or eliminate sugar from their diet knows that, okay, well, like, where am I drawing the line? And I'm going to say I don't know exactly where the Columbia Public Health Department is drawing the line, but quarantine means that you don't contact other people. So the CDC is very clear that you stay home. And people say things like, yeah, I only go get groceries once a week. Okay, that is not staying home. And again, I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm not saying whether you should or you shouldn't do it. I'm just saying that we should be clear that that's not quarantine. Quarantine means you stay home or in your own yard and that you do not interact with other people, even like six feet away and even like wearing a mask that the mask wearing and the, and the distancing are for people we are presuming that we don't have evidence that they have the disease or that they've been contacted, have a contact. So that's for all of us. We're all supposed to be doing our best to keep six feet away, wear a mask, and make our interactions brief and to not go into public buildings without a mask and to limit our time in public buildings. That's socially distance. That's social distancing. That's physical distancing. That's for all of us. Quarantine means that you have someone else get your groceries, that you don't go to work. And then there's the tricky thing about household members. So what about, so what if I was a case, my husband, I mean, I was a contact, my husband was not a contact. We live together. What do we do about that? And the recommendation is that either you find a way to, for somebody else to go live somewhere else, or that person, or the contact isolates themselves. That is, they stay in one room and use a designated bathroom. This is difficult. It's like solitary confinement. Mm. Or all the household members also quarantine. That is, they don't go to work and they don't go to the grocery store and they don't go anyplace either. This is not easy. 
and I am not trying to say that everybody absolutely has to do it. It's what we're asking people to do, and it is not the same as social distancing. And so when people say, I've been mostly quarantining, that there's no, that's not a thing. You cannot mostly quarantine. Hmm. And the, the incubation period of the virus here is crucial in this, in this definition Right. As well. So it's 2 to 14 days. So it's really unusual for people to develop the disease or test positive within less than 48 hours after their exposure. And they, but they can turn positive as long as 14 days later. Which brings up, so quarantine is 14 days from your last exposure to the person. Um, And so sometimes there's a delay that by the time you've heard that you're a contact of a case, it's been a week, um, and you then just need to do another week. You need to do one week uh, of it. So, um, And then what happens is many people who get told that they're a contact, they want to get a test right away because they want to know. They want to know, did I get it? And the problem is, again, we have this, variation that any day in between two and 14 days could be the day that you turn positive. Mm. We don't have a test that will tell you if you're going to get it. We only have a test that tells us if you have viral RNA shedding from your nose. So we, like what day would you get tested? Ideally, you would be tested on the day that you found out or the day after. You'd be tested soon after you, you, got, you knew that you were a contact about halfway through, so seven, about five to seven to nine days in, and then again on the last day of quarantine. The problem is that what's happening is that people are getting a test early in, and they're getting a negative result, which is what we'd expect, and they are presuming that means they're all clear and they don't need to quarantine. Yes, it's quite the tall order. Um, to, right. Yes. It's a tall order to say to somebody, you, got, you were in contact, here's your negative result, now stay in for 14 days. Right. It means people understanding the subtleties and the nuances of infectious diseases and that the test isn't 100%. You know, all uh, the test may have 10 to 30% false negatives. We are up against some, <laughs> some challenging realities and um, that is, or, or challenging current understandings. I don't want to say we know them as facts, but our best understanding right now is that the, we've got a long incubation period for this disease. People are the, mo- the most common time that people share this virus with someone else is the day of first symptoms, even when the symptoms are mild. And then the next most common is the 48 hours before they get symptoms. So <clears throat> that's why we're asking people to wear masks, because in your most likely time of transmission, you don't feel that bad. Of course. Yeah. So, so then there's, if someone is uh, identified as a case, then we recommend isolation for them. And that is that they would stay in their own room in their home, that uh, uh, assessments would be done by someone wearing a mask from the doorway, trying to stay six feet away, that food and drink and medicines would be delivered to their you know, door or set right inside the door, that they would have their own designated bathroom, and that family members would stay away from them. This is also hard. People are really sick, and that there's a lot of comfort that could be given by having someone present, maybe you know, a cool cloth, helping them get their drinks, the, the kinds of ways we tend to the sick, and to tell people that we'd rather they not do that. This is hard. It breaks people's hearts, and it is hard, and it's still what we're asking people to do. 
And I'm remembering during Ebola times, whenever there are Ebola outbreaks, one of the apparently the, in Ebola it was an unusual circumstance in which the the corpse, the the body of the dead person, is very infectious. And so we asked people to abandon their long-held, many generation-long, um, very valued funeral rituals where the family of the deceased prepares the body for burial. This is a very meaningful ritual, and we asked people to not do it. And yes. Uh, well, at the beginning of this pandemic, we found out that uh, funerals are, are transmission hotspots as well. Right, not, uh, from, not from the dead body, but no, from each other. From each right? other, from people hugging, touching, and things of this nature. And That's... coming together inside and standing and talking to each other. Right. So often what happens in a funeral or a visitation is that people are indoors, they're close to each other, they're often in a long line waiting to pay their respects. The people who have recently been bereaved are shaking hands and hugging and talking to um, a, lo- a large number of people at a time when they are sleep-deprived and stressed and are probably not eating all that well. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's not the best time for our immune systems to work well. And so, you know, I, we are going to have to develop uh, uh, grieving rituals that um, honor and meet our needs, but do not expose people in that way. But anyway, so we're asking people, we're asking people to do hard things. We're asking people who are, um, who have just been told that they have an illness or have been exposed to an illness to stay away from other people. So isolation is what we do for the sick, and those people are supposed to stay in their own rooms and use their own bathrooms. And if there isn't a dedicated bathroom for them, that every time they've used the bathroom, that it would be um, cleaned and disinfected. This is hard. And then um, all their household members, of course, would be contacts, so they also need to stay home, and they need community support to have food brought to the house and, you know, whatever shopping or errands need to be done need to be done by somebody else. And then they can't go to work, which is hard. And sadly, we don't have the kinds of social support that I wish we did to help people like, okay, well, if you can't go to work, here's some here's some monetary support. Um Anyway, and we also have not created places where if a person needs to be quarantined but they live in a household with a lot of other people who still need to go to work, we don't. We have not set up quarantine hostels for people so that they have a place that they could go or their family members could go so that they could be separated from each other so we aren't asking people to stay in, household, in their own rooms. But I just wanted to be clear. The, the other thing that is concerning to me is that the health department statistics are that we have about 1.5 to 1 and 3 quarters contact for every for every case. So that is for every, who are currently under quarantine. So for every person who has been identified as having COVID-19 in Boone County, there are less than two people who are in quarantine as their contacts. And contacts, that includes household members. So, yeah, there are probably some people who live alone, who don't go to work, and who haven't been anywhere uh, and got sick. But there are many other people who are being exposed at large public gatherings or large family gatherings, so at barbecues or birthday parties or whatever. And those people are probably have, should have a dozen or so contacts. 
And when the average comes out to less than two, it makes me wonder what's going on. Well, Are, is the health department unable to find these people? Are people unwilling to say what they've really been doing? Uh, um, yeah. We should probably point out, I mean, there, there, there are many cases in which enforcement is just simply impossible. I mean, say, say somebody who tested positive uh, did go out to the grocery store or did uh, go out and, and dine in in a restaurant or something like this. I mean, it would be, I mean, it's, it's completely impossible to identify all the people that were in that store on that particular yeah, day. Yeah, it would be it, impossible yeah. to, to identify everybody, Peter, but we do have some places where the health department is saying, if you went to this particular restaurant or this bar at this time, right. you may have been contacted, you may be a contact. And it seems to me un uh, unlikely that zero people saw that and called the health department and said, I was there at that time, I think I'm a contact. Yeah, you, you wonder what sort of medium would be most useful for, for getting that information out. Yeah, so I am concerned that either people are contacts and they are unwilling to notify the health department, or they, are, they have notified the health department they are unwilling to quarantine, mm -hmm. or whether the health department is overwhelmed and unable to do this, or whether the dynamics of, this, of people's social interactions is something I totally am misreading. But it seems that, you know, the... The two recent positive cases that I um, tested were in a family, and there were was a large family gathering. So then I tested another, I don't know, half a dozen people um, as contacts. Mm -hmm. It's just hard to imagine that that everybody who is who is being identified with the health department is living with less than two people. Um, and that the and I know that averages don't work that way, but you'd have to have a lot of people who only have one contact or have zero contacts to bring the average down to less than two. Right. So it's it's a concern to me, and it's a concern to me that we don't really know what's going on. <clears throat> well, the role of the citizenry is it just plays such an important part. To take the example that you just cited of uh, individuals that you tested that were at the same uh, family gathering, they may have tested negative, but the incubation period means that they might still be positive. Uh, you know, right. A week or so. And afterwards. if they are not, if they are not quarantining, yes. um, then they may be continue to spread the virus. Well, what's so important? What I what I take from today's show, uh, just as we talked about statistics a couple of days ago, today is very much a day of definitions. Uh, right. We must uh, <coughs> emphasize that uh, in, a in a medical sense, quarantine refers to potential context, whereas uh, isolation uh, refers to those who actually test positive. So that's an important right. distinction. Yeah, so we isolate the people who are sick and we quarantine the people who are exposed. Yes. And and so this is you know I I am I am a little bit of a vocabulary um, nerd and so when people use a word incorrectly it bothers me and one of the things that has been bothering me is people who have been uh, concerned that we are overblowing the seriousness of this illness have been saying never in the history of the world have we ever quarantined the healthy and the truth is that quarantine is only for people who are not sick. So every medically defined quarantine has always been for people who weren't sick. And it came from a practice that the coastal ports of Italy did during times of plague, and that is when a, when a ship came into port. They made the ship sit in port for 40 days, and quarantine then comes from the, the Italian words for 40 days. And this was all ships 
And so most of the people throughout history who have ever been quarantined are people who are showing no signs of the disease. And since we've gotten, you know, a little bit more official with our public health, what people think of as quarantining the sick, we actually are calling isolation. So if you're hearing us talk about quarantine, it is only for people who aren't showing symptoms. There's one other crucial definition that I think we should emphasize yeah. uh, before we uh, break for the weekend. The definition of uh, mild. <laughs> this is so vitally important. Uh, the medical definition of mild, as you've uh, brought up many, many times on this program, does not mean that you will have a mild case of this illness. It simply requires that you will not uh, it simply implies that you will not require hospitalization. <laughs> yeah, when doctors talk about mild, what, mild and self-limited, what they mean is not emergent and doesn't need hospitalization. Precisely. So this would and, be a... and we're not trying to discount people's misery. We get it that, I mean, we, we, we get sick too. We get it that you can feel really terrible and not need to be hospitalized. Precisely. So this is, uh, I, th I thought we might emphasize that as, as a as means of uh, wrapping things up today because... That is a definition. We brought it up a few weeks ago when we were talking about some of the uh, <coughs> recent peer-reviewed scholarship that it, it is so vitally important. When you hear that most people will be experiencing a mild form of this illness, uh, that does not mean that you will not uh, be, well, laying in bed uh, wishing for, for some other fate for, you know, up to two weeks. Right. Uh, and you know, you might not be really worried that you're, I mean, some, some of the people, uh, you know, the, it's a little, the, some people are going to come up to the, mm, I wonder if you need to be hospitalized for your little short of breath. You know, your oxygenation is a little low, not quite to the criteria. Let's check on you tomorrow. Oh, thank goodness you're better. So there are some people who, who also spend a fair amount of that time really worried about whether they'll need to be hospitalized. I also want to say that, all, again, I want to reemphasize what we did about uh, the other day about um, statistics, is that even though many times the, um, in, a in a certain group of people, like people who are ventilated, that the, the numbers are pretty bleak, that, oh, my goodness, you, you know, it's pretty unlikely to, to be survived, there are still stories of people who went on ventilators and came off and got better. And so... Um, I don't, I want like this whole thing of like, can we, can we take it seriously? Can we be attentive and not be frightened? That is, well, uh, such an important balance. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, sometimes uh, it's only when people are truly frightened that they are spurred into action. <laughs> you know, that. Peter, I think that fear is a really bad motivator. Yeah, what I, what I happens is that, is that people can act uh, short time for fear but uh, love is, and uh, commitment and service and uh, confidence um, are way more uh, motivating. And so that's why I, you know, I just am so clear that I don't want people to feel fear. Now, I will say that I have been reaching out to um, our public officials because I think it is time for us to be more proactive. And our opportunity to be proactive from a policy standpoint is that window is uh, closing. Um, and so I think there are a lot of our city council is wanting to see how well the mask ordinance works, which means they're going to give it another week. And I am concerned that with exponential growth that, that we may pay a price for waiting. And so I don't mind if my public officials are a little bit afraid. So I, I don't want them to be afraid of me. I want them to be concerned about the consequences of inaction. 
Well, I don't think I could have put it better myself. But uh, <laughs> really, I mean, what it, what this is about, and, and what this you know essential thesis statement for this program uh, in general is that um, we want to make sure that uh, well, we we celebrate the informed populace, uh, the Absolutely. citizenry that bands together with good information and makes good decisions, and that is ultimately the way that uh, <clears throat> um, I mean, it, it is coming. The numbers are uh, rising. As you pointed out at the beginning of the program, this is because you know we were in sort of a landlocked uh, safe haven, um, and the early action that was taken on a global scale uh, almost precluded most of it from making it here, or at least we assume that as such. We'll have to waste uh, some of the wastewater data may may prove that uh, that statement wrong. But uh, yes, I mean, there, there is no avoiding this in the final analysis. I mean, it will find its way into every nook and cranny of the country at some point. That's, I mean, it, it will spread. Uh, but fear is not necessarily how we need to approach this. Just uh, well-informed, good decisions. And thank you so much for being with us today to, uh, to assist us with those. And yeah, and with these, these thanks for the listeners for tuning in. And what I've noticed is that over the last couple of weeks, the number of questions have really tapered off. So if people have questions, I'm thinking as the numbers come up, I think questions will start to come. If people want, have questions, they can uh, call or email the station, and we'll be happy to um, incorporate those into what we talk about next week. Most certainly. And on that note, I wish you a very, very pleasant weekend, Dr. Alleman. Enjoy some well-deserved time off. Hey, thank Dr. you, Alleman you too. will return on Monday yes. to be interviewed by Mallory Daly on our next live edition of Community Pulse. Thank you so much for tuning in to your listener-supported and volunteer-operated community radio station. Uh, as a reminder, we here uh, at KOPN want to hear from you in terms of Community Pulse. We want to hear your questions. We'd like to hear your comments. We would love to hear your insights. The number to call to reach us is going to be 573-874-1139. You can leave us a message. You can also email us at gm at kopn.org. You can post your questions on our Facebook or Instagram. Instagram feed, all of the usual channels. We'll be back with another live version of Community Pulse Monday at 9 a.m. Once again, the uh, <coughs> the live broadcast times are Monday through Thursdays at 9 a.m. Please stay safe. Please stay informed, Columbia. A pleasant weekend to you. And a bridged version of Brackout Beefing follows. Music.